0: Hey, history students, uh, we're back in the uh, recording studios for another podcast. This time we're going to deal with independence, so pull up your independence slides. Uh, we're going to talk about how the colonists go from loyalists to, to rebels and all of this. So what does that mean? Well, what I call colonists, you would call Americans today. And they are, uh, as you'll see, very loyal to the crown, uh, but with some exceptions, and they keep on sliding further and further away, what we call the causes of the American Revolution take place. So today we're going to look at that idea. Uh, You are going to take a quiz over this material, so don't worry about the first slide, but I'll come back to that when we talk on Monday. Socrative is a method of taking quizzes through your phone. Uh, And I will allow you to do that on Monday and get participation points for that. So slide number two is this idea of figuring out who would win this conflict. And on its face, it seems like it's obvious because we already know the outcome that the colonists or the Americans do this. Uh, But at the time, it is very unlikely, and that's why it takes so much time for the colonists to actually declare independence. Uh, And you'll see kind of how that happens. So our goal is to try to answer this question, what I call Mission Possible Essays. And this is number three. What role did time and geography play for the colonists on their march for independence? Uh, Time is what I just talked about. There's a long time period after, about 12 years after the French and Indian War, Uh, And the colonists are not ever assured, and even when they declare independence, they're not really confident they're going to win this conflict. A geography, by that I mean not only is London or England far away from the U.S. mainland, but it's also internally. And internally, there's one colony that seems to be more of a pain than any of the others. And you'll see who that is in a little bit here. So uh, most historians might consider them the greatest generation that ever lived. Uh, These founding fathers, they knew it and they got it. They knew that they were going to be part of history. In fact, uh, many of them did all sorts of things to keep their papers uh, in excellent shape, Uh, so we would study them. They kind of knew that they were going to be historical actors and you can see some of these pictures. That's a picture of me and my nephew at George Washington University in Washington, DC, but their names are plastered all over the country here. Okay. And obviously around Mount Rushmore, there's a couple of them on there as well. Okay. Where does all this start? Well, the founding fathers were really inspired by this enlightenment movement that took off in Europe uh, prior to the American Revolution. and it, it believed that human reasoning could solve things. Before, most people thought that you know there wasn't much they couldn't really solve issues or problems. Here they believed in science and medicine and education, uh, media, law, politics, Somebody like Ben Franklin would be a great example of that with the kite doing his own experiments. Uh, The campus in Boston, which is called Harvard, is an institution that believed in the Enlightenment movement. So this is the ability of human beings to think or figure out solutions uh, by using their mind. Even with that, there was that common ground that they had with the English they dressed like them. They spoke the same English as the, um, spoke same language as them. Uh, they had the same culture. Uh, there was a lot of similarities, more similarities than not here. But if we look at a map here, which I've shown you in the past, you'll see that maybe things are going to go off the tracks, especially between other European powers. And in the map, you see the blue is France. The kind of pinkish, reddish, whatever you want to call that color, uh, is um, English. And then the Spanish are kind of like a salmon or orange there. So when you look at that, you're like, well, these, these powers are kind of butting up against each other. And they're probably going to be some kind of conflict. And that conflict starts early. So we've talked about colonization before with the pilgrims and Jamestown and stuff like that. Well, in this case, <clears throat> there's something that they call the Beaver Wars. The Beaver Wars is an area in the Midwest that we'd probably call Ohio, maybe western Pennsylvania as well. There's a group of people that believe they own that. Native Americans, the Uruquois, the French, who have settled that area, and the British. The British believe they own that land and would like to take that over and they're willing to send uh a company out there. And so there's what's called the Ohio Company. And this is um a company that is uh people are invested in and they they say, well if we can get this land and it would be free to them, settle this land, uh they make some money off of this. So this was an opportunity to make wealth. Uh, A guy named Governor Dinwiddie of Virginia sends out 200 militia to go out there and tell the French that, you know, this is really our land. And it just happens to be that one of the most famous Americans is one of those 200 militia. His name is George Washington. So... Washington comes in as a lieutenant colonel at the age of 21. And I love this uh, saying that Joseph Ellis, who's a historian, said, instead of going to college, he went to war. And that kind of captures George Washington in a lot of ways. He wasn't a highly educated man, although he was pretty wealthy. He wasn't like Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin. He learned his uh, lessons through going to war. Um, and that's going to be really important. So you might relate this to, like, people that are book smart and people that are, like, you know, street smart. And George Washington is that street smart person, and which is very different from all the other founding fathers. He goes to Fort Duquesne, which is, uh, or just outside of Fort Duquesne, which is settled by the French. Uh, today that would be Pittsburgh, basically the city of Pittsburgh. And there's a guy there, Holcombville, and Holcombville and 32 Frenchmen are there. And Washington brings in a Native interpreter. So a Native American knows how to speak French because, again, Washington didn't go to college. He went to war. He doesn't know French. And while this guy's talking to Holcombville, he decides to take things into his own hands, this Native American. He actually splits open Holcombville's head, pulls out his brain and the rest of his men start attacking those 32 Frenchmen. It's a disaster for Washington, and Washington doesn't really know what's going on, because, again, he doesn't know French and all of this. Tying this to a bigger story is that this is the beginning of the French and Indian War, which is going to be an international conflict. The French and Indian War is not named really well. Uh, The British and the colonists are really going to work together against the French and the Indians. So the French and the Indians are not fighting each other; they're fighting the British and the colonists. And I know I just told you that colonists also had Native Americans with them at this, the beginning of this, and they do, but they lose them, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Okay, uh, I'm not going to talk too much about Fort Necessity, but it's another disaster for George Washington, who uh, has to surrender that on July Fourth. Uh, the British are going to support the cause of the colonists. And Edward Braddock is a general, and he meets with Native Americans, and this is why Native Americans are not going to be very supportive of the colonists or the British. And he says the English should inhabit, inherit the land. No savage should inherit the land. So you can imagine if you brought Native Americans in and then you told them they're savages, they're probably not going to really work with you. He went back to Fort Duquesne with four hundred, fourteen hundred men. George Washington was one of them. And they were attacked. George Washington wrote about later on. Uh, amazingly enough, he had two horses shot from underneath him and four musket balls that pierced his clothing. Okay, But he survives. He's one of those people that seems like ordained to survive. The impact of this war at the end of it is that there's this polarization actually between the British and the colonists. And the colonists start to develop their own sense of pride. There's these creations of these four regions. So we always think of 13 colonies. Uh, They're going to put together, they're going to start the building blocks of creating a nation by putting them in four, four regions. And They don't do this specifically or design specifically, but they do so. The map is hard to see, but... Basically, what it tells you is that the East Coast is all the colonies. Anything outside of that, in that Ohio country that we talked about, the British say, no, you're not going there. Okay. Uh, the colonists don't like this at all because they thought that they fought this war and won this war to gain land as well. As the political cartoon said there, join or die. Uh, the independence timeline is important because the war ends in 1763, and the Sugar Act then is implemented, and why are these uh, taxes put on the colonists, like the Stamp Act and the Townsend Act, and stuff like that well it 's pretty straightforward. Great Britain spent a lot of money on this war the the French and Indian War, and they have to have a means of paying for it. The colonists were not taxed for the war, so they felt like they should be you know taxed, so they they're part of this, uh, you know, system. Help them win. Seems like it's only obvious. There's twelve events. There's 12 major events from seventeen sixty three to seventeen sixty six that are pretty important. So you can go over those within your textbook. But the point here is that it took them a long time to do this. Right? We're we're talking about at least fourteen years. Twelve to, well thirteen. 14 years, that uh, this took the colonists to kind of break away. One of the main events in this was what's called the Bas- Boston Massacre. And if you look at the political cartoon that I have on, on slide 18, you can see the British are shooting on defenseless people uh, and that there's blood gushing all over the place. This is a political cartoon by used by Paul Revere but that was completely historically inaccurate, okay, of the colonists with their baiting the British to fire, throwing ice balls at them and yelling and screaming at them until eventually they did exactly what they were hoping that they would do. Um, Boston is one of those locations that really gets things going. And when you think of geography, Boston is that location, You'll see that there's other events that happen there too. March 5th, 1770 is when this happens. Five are dead, including Crispus Attucks, who happens to be, we believe, an African-American. So you could claim the first uh, casualties of this conflict that's coming um, is Crispus Attucks. John Adams, the founding father, actually defends the British soldiers based on the fact that I just told you that this was... Largely a myth, that political cartoon is. Seven were found not guilty. Two of them were manslaughtered, okay? There's a political cartoon there showing uh, people tarring and feathering someone. I'll try to post a video on this because I think it would be be helpful to see that. The Boston Tea Party, I've got the podcast on that, so that is a two-part podcast. Listen to that and then send in your responses. You'll get uh, participation points, okay? Where you could say the conflict turns from just protest into armed conflict happens at Lexington and Concord in April 19, 1775. Are they in, is the war started already, or is it still in the causes stage? That can be debated, okay? The British went out once again in Boston thinking that they could capture ammunition stores and key people like... uh, uh, John Hancock, so they marched out twenty four miles in one day out of Boston, and then they were pushed back. Uh, they did not find what they needed to to get, and they also disgusted at the colonists who seemed to fight uh, behind trees and rocks and things like that, and that was not what um, uh, the British thought was admirable. Even at 1775, the reason I don't think that we're actually in the war yet is that they still try to petition the British Army. The Olive Branch Petition is still trying to say, you know, King, I know things have gone poorly, but we still want to be part of the team. Okay, Why are they doing that? Well, I think they're doing that because they think they're going to lose this conflict. And if they lose this conflict, all of those people will be tried and maybe hung and quartered. Uh, and it's a very ri- risky pr- proposition here. Okay, In June 17, 1775, maybe things go too far here. Maybe this is the start of the American Revolution. 226 British are dead. Uh, they go up what's called Breed's Hill in Boston. They get repulsed numerous times. Eventually, they actually do win the, ha- the hill, but at a very, very high and steep cost. Uh, moving into the new year, which is what six months later, uh, Thomas Paine pushes the colonist over the edge when he writes a pamphlet called Common Sense. sells a ton of copies. Um, it basically says an island cannot rule a continent, and this really gets most colonists to agree to that idea. The uh, Congress meets again, and John Adams is one of those people that's part of the Congress. This it's not an official Congress yet, but body uh, to determine what the next steps are. And she adamantly, you know, tells her husband to don't forget the ladies in all of this. This is a quote from her. What's really interesting is John Adams and Abigail Adams, his wife, write these letters back and forth. We have twelve hundred of them. No other. Uh, couple do we have even close to that? Uh, in the case of like George Washington, his wife had actually burned all the letters between the two of them, which might tell you something about the content of those letters. John Adams kept all of his letters, okay? In 1775, or in, uh, in May of that year, and then June of that year, they decide that they're going to create uh, a document that demands independence. And Thomas Jefferson, well, there's actually three people that are assigned this task, Ben Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson. John Adams believes that uh, Thomas Jefferson is the better writer and Ben Franklin uh, believes that he, he doesn't like to have things edited by other people. So he says, you do it. Thomas Jefferson gets that chore and, of course, that is the Declaration of Independence that we have. The problem with the Declaration of Independence, well, it's not really a problem, but most Americans don't really know. They know the second half of it, the 30%, which is the natural rights, those 55 words, you know. All men are creating equal, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that kind of stuff. What it really is is a list of grievances against Great Britain. And... It one of the things that it, it uh, argues for, the original draft at least, is that England was responsible for the slave trade. That does get edited out of the text, okay? The author is not known until the 1790s. So Thomas Jefferson, although it's on his tombstone, that is not known. And you may be surprised by that. Why? Because they think they're going to lose even after this conflict gets started, Okay. There's a great video on Thomas Jefferson uh, that I wish I could show you, but we're going to move on, okay? So, the next couple slides kind of talk about that. The road to the Declaration of Independence, they have actually a statue of King George uh, in New York City, and they tear that down. They're concerned that if the British do come to New York City, that they will take it and melt it into Uh, musket balls. So the colonists do that themselves. I've got a map there. It's not really relevant. I would use that again, but take a look at, you know, your textbook and see it, see what you thought was the most important cause of the American Revolution. Okay. Until uh, next time, we'll see you later. Take care. Bye.